Are you ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style. Be the star you are. With your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio featuring authors and success experts dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. Well, hello. It is playtime here on the Power Hour of Star Style. Be the star you are. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And Oh, good. I didn't think I could hear you there. We're happy to be your personal growth success coaches here on the airways with you every week. We have you on our radar, and we want to reveal to you that dreams do come true and give you the power to be the star you were born to be. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you for writing, speaking, acting, and media interviews. Call 925-377-STAR or visit StarStyleProductions.com. And this is from Anais Nin. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And I kind of feel that this week I have had to have a lot of courage because I've had my computer has been down for just about a week. I've been scrambling from one office to another trying to keep up with stuff. And it just came back from from Apple Care, and it's still not working. And I love no. Matt, so darn it. I don't know what's going on. So those of you who follow me on Facebook or Twitter, LinkedIn, or other social networks, if you've noticed um, that I've been frustrated, yes, I have. <laughs> but I have, I have been able to, I have been able to get all the books read for the radio shows and upcoming shows, as well as got my spring garden planted, and that's always a good thing. And Heather, you're going to be talking about uh, a good cup of Java here, and that was a good thing that you know every morning it sort of got me going to try to keep my spirits up so well let's talk about today's show we've got a great show for you uh, heather in t for two in health matters she's going to talk about brewing that perfect cup that perfect roast that we all love and if you've ever wondered why we fall in love with people who hurt us psychotherapist and author of the human magnet syndrome ross rosenberg will be with us in segment two and he's going to describe this revolutionary way of conceptualizing dysfunctional relationships and then what we can do about it to get a healthy relationship. And in our final time together, we're going to travel to turn of the century England for Alison Atlee's uh, debut novel. It's a historical novel called The Typewriter Girl. And it made me very grateful that I learned typing skills in my youth. <laughs> So this is going to be a great show for you. Despite computer technology uh, blunders this past week, boy, we do survive. So grab your cup of joe, sit back, and enjoy the Power Hour and our unbelievably fantastic guests that are coming to follow us. So Heather, in the specialty coffee world, the level of obsession over how to brew the perfect cup 
is really becoming now quite complex. And choices of coffee are infinite. And I know for me, growing up, I never drank coffee. We were tea, you know, I drank tea. And it wasn't until I lived in Holland when I was 18 and moved to Europe that I discovered the wonderful, wonderful coffee uh, genre in that the family that I was living with, we'd buy our own beans, we would grind them fresh every day, and then they would do this Café Presse, which when I was living in France was the only way to make a great cup of coffee. So I still to this day, you know, do my my get the fresh fresh beans and ground them, and I personally love peats. And anyway, the bottom line is, is there's nothing better than a great cup of coffee. You were a barista, so tell us what goes into making the perfect cup, and what is the secret to great coffee, and um, what do we need to know, you know, about the, the free trade and all of that. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting to me, like all things, I've actually said to my fiancé before, the, the things we need to go into business for is bottled water and cups of coffee. They're the two most overly priced, easily available things. And, I mean, when it comes to water, you can't, you know, the, when you walk down the water aisle, you'll buy one bottled water for $4 and another one for $0.50. Cents. And if you poured those each into a cup, I would not be able to tell you which was the you know, from the Himalayan mountains in which was from a distilled faucet kind of thing. Same and if you probably ran your water, at least right here where we live, where we have, like, excellent water, it's coming from the mountain streams, you know, it's crazy to be buying bottled water, so I get it. Yeah, and you know the thing when it comes to coffee, too, and I actually, it's interesting that we're doing this topic this week. I had an experience last week. I, I go through phases. I was a, as I'll get to, I was a barista when I was in high school. But, um, you know, for the most part, I've been drinking tea recently, but sometimes I just need that coffee in the morning, especially those early mornings. And I went into work, and I needed coffee. And I'm used to brewing coffee and making, you know, quote-unquote good coffee at home. But I was at work. I needed a cup of coffee so bad. And there was a little cafe, or it was not a cafe. It's more like a deli um, next to us. And I went over. I bought it for $2 a cup. It was the most horrible, watery. I couldn't even fit. And I just thought, wow, this was the worst coffee I've ever had. When, I couldn't even drink it. Well, you and, know, when I hate, I just to jump in there with hating coffee, I, when I remember when living in Europe, and they used to call American coffee, le pipi. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and, and I just thought, oh, my God. this is, And I just thought, wow, you know, it's so inexpensive to brew it. And, you know, and that's one of the things is getting to, like, it was a horrible coffee, but I needed it. I wanted it. I will never get their coffee again. Learn my lesson. But I just thought, wow, what a waste of, you know, $2 sometimes can seem like only $2 or like $2. And that was a, oh, my God, $2, that was not worth it. And you think of all these, you know, these chains, you know, the, the Starbucks, coffee, tea, Pete's coffee, all that. And, you know, all of us have our, you know, our, our own coffee that we think is the best. But really, you can do it at home. And there's such, especially in trying to be this equal, uh, eco-friendly, you know, money-saving uh, community, you know, kind of social economy, that you can do it at home and make really good coffee. It's just But doesn't out. it start with the beans? You have it to does. have you know, amazing beans. Well, you know, it really does, and that's something, too. If you've ever, 
you know, kind of gotten at gas stations that coffee, it just is horrible. Well, they're using bad coffee. And nothing against Folgers or anything like that because I've had it, but I have to say it's not good. Those kind of pre-ground-up instant coffees, um, I've yet to, you know, please, if you know anyone, please send it my way, but I've yet to have an instant coffee that was good. They taste that. You kind of you get what you pay for, that cheap kind of watery taste. Uh, starting with good coffee, something kind of interesting, people, when you, we hear coffee beans, coffee is actually not a bean. Coffee, it's actually, um, it, technically it's a fruit, it's a seed. Um, it's from the coffee plant, which they look, if you look at them, they look like little cherries, and inside of them are these little seeds, which are the coffee beans. Um, and they're very much similar to how wine is, how, you know, they, it, all, the, um, the taste of coffee beans depends on how they were grown and where they were grown, how they were harvested, very similar with how grapes become wine and that whole kind of process, you know, which why some are, you know, tartar. That's why, I mean, similar to... It's all it's, about great, the terroir. Well, well, there's so many different varieties of wine. There's so many different kinds of coffee. You know, there's, you know, cola and you know, so many different, and the lighter, the blonde, the different roasts. But starting, the really good thing is there's different ways, and you can make... Um, good coffee with a drip, with a French press. It all just starts with knowing what to do and how you're storing. So the first thing, you know, probably one of the best coffees is a little bit more time-consuming, and you need to know how to do it right is with the French press. Now, I must say, growing up, you are a French presser for life. That's just you guys are make that French press. But there's sometimes, too, you know, I have to say if I had poor experiences, I've, I've killed, I think, probably four French presses, and if anyone knows what that is, it's um, it's French. It's um, a glass cylinder basically that you pour the you grind the beans, you pour into, you stir it, and then you slowly push down, almost oh, you know, to kind of separate it, and it, it's pressing the beans in. But there's a certain technique to it, and if you're not careful, that hot pressure can cause the glass to explode, which I experienced many times, which learned I am not good at this. Um, but things, but the thing is, kind of knowing how to do it. So my kind of tips on how to be a good French presser. First, grind your coffee to a coarse setting. Now, I know a lot of people, and I've experienced, you guys, I must say, you have to, you make great coffee, but sometimes I don't like it when there's little grainy bits in my coffee. And, and the misconception is people think um, the more you grind it, the more flavor, or it's going to be, which is not true. Uh, coffee is very similar to garlic, that when you kind of mincely, you know, kind of, uh, chop it coarsely into chunks, it's going to be more flavorful. If you, you know, really, really grind it up, it's going to have a lighter flavor. And also when you're using a French press, those lighter grounds are going to seep through the press and you're going to have grains in um, in your coffee. So you need to be really careful about that, of what what kind of coffee. If you're using a drip, um, a drip coffee maker, you can grind it up more, you know, uh, finely grind it. But if you're using a coffee press, it's best to do it coarse. So first, grind the coffee coarse. Um, as I said, you want it a little bit, a little bit chunky. Um, then a big thing too is having a timer. It's absolutely essential. Um, sometimes using digitals, whatever it may, heat the water 195. I just say heat the water till the, the tea kettle whistles. That's when you know your coffee is ready. Um, so then what you're going to do is you're going to pour the coffee grounds into your French press. Um, if anyone's needing a point of reference, just Google what a French press looks like. You'll understand. 
Um, pour it in there. Then you're going to pour the water. Allow the coffee to sit for one minute. Um, and the coffee, as I like to say, it will start blooming. You'll see similar to all things. You pour liquid in. It's going to come up. You're going to see lots of color. After a minute, use a spoon to gently press the coffee down for about two or three times just to break up. It's going to create a crust almost. It, it's going to probably not look too appetizing. Once it makes that crust, don't stare it. Just carefully pour in the remaining boiling water. And, and that was what, if I skip a step, a step there, you're going to just pour it just kind of halfway. Turn it, pour in the rest. Set the top of the French press. Don't put it in yet, but just kind of put it at the top of it. It's a little device just so it creates kind of a, a heating dome on top of it. So you say, let it sit there. Um, when your timer goes off, you usually say about 10 minutes or so. That's when you start to um, slowly, firmly, but slowly uh, press down. I've made the mistake, as I said, I, why I personally do not use French presses uh, because I've had horrible experiences that I was a little too zealous. I wanted that coffee. I didn't have not have time to wait. The thing with French press, French presses probably make some of the best, most delicately tasting, you know, just a lovely, a really good cup of coffee, but it is takes a little time. So if it's something that you're, you know, got to get going in the morning, it's not a French French press if you have the time in the morning on your weekdays, but it's more of a Sunday, Saturday if you have the time to carefully to carefully make your coffee. Getting back to the real thing, as you said before, is it really does start with your beans. Um, doesn't matter how much delicacy, if, you, if you're not using good beans. Um, I personally, I know there's so many different brands out there and so many different cafes, and a lot of times, you know, people make, there's a little kind of mom and pop stuff that make a really good blend, but they're probably not well-known to everyone out there. Uh, a coffee company, and this is not a plug to them, this is just to say, and overall, uh, I'm a little bit biased. I think Pete's Coffee makes really delicious beans. Well, they and, started, you know, here in Berkeley, California, and, of course, I went to Cal Berkeley, and it was just this little tiny place, and they roasted right there, and that's what was great. Now it's become more of a conglomerate. It's been bought out, I think, by a Swiss company, maybe, or maybe it's a Dutch company. In any case, it might be different now, but I always think that some of the individual roasters, you know, when you can go to a, a place that actually is roasting the coffee right there on premises, that is a fantastic way to go. And if all possible, you know, buy coffees that are free trade uh, coffees as well. We're getting close to the end of time here, Heather, so we need to wrap it up. So give us our final tips and then give out the websites. Okay, my big thing, and this is a big um, one, if you want to have good coffee with your good beans, it's storing them correctly. And a big misconception is not all coffee can go into the freezer. In fact, if you're going to use your coffee, you actually want it to go you don't want it to go straight into the ice box. If you grind up coffee, you can keep it in the refrigerator for about a week or so. Certain ones you can freeze for maybe a month, but don't use it as like a meat or a vegetable that you can freeze and keep for months or years. The flavor is going to go away, and actually the crystals are going to change the flavor of the coffee. So if you want to be king or queen of the kitchen and have that great cup of joe, it all starts with taking good care of your beans. So uh, we want you to check out the websites. Go to be the org as well as be the com. 
Well, that was a fabulous, fabulous uh, expose on coffee. And I, yes, I am definitely a Cafe Presse gal and I do it every single morning. And to me, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I just want one good cup of coffee one a good day. Cup. <laughs> yeah, just one. And it, it just starts my day off right. So thank you for bringing that to our listeners, Heather. Well, when we come back from break, we have actually, he is another coffee expert, but he's actually coming on the show to empower our relationships. It's psychotherapist and author of the Human Magnet Syndrome. Ross Rosenberg is going to join us, and he's going to share his innovative dance to finding healthy relationships. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. Don't you go away. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Be the star you are Light up the flame that burns Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org Be the lucky star Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. You are the star. Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thanks for staying with us where we bring you the pioneers on the planet who inspire, enhance, and change our lives for the better with their expertise. I am Cynthia Bryan. I am your personal growth coach here. And today we are talking to Ross Rosenberg. He is the author of the human magnet syndrome and this is something that every human possesses the desire to be understood everyone wants to be loved and wants to give love and these are some of the impulses that compel us to find a romantic companion well he has created a presentation which evolved into this fantastic book 
that's going to help us get off this merry-go-round of dysfunctional relationships, change our patterns, and actually find true love. Again, the name of the book is The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. Welcome, Ross, to Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm very excited. Thank you. Well, in the beginning of the book, I really liked it how you shared your own uh, story. You are a psychotherapist. You are a sexual addi- addiction expert. But you didn't realize that your own relationships were failing until a good friend gave you that life-changing feedback that it seemed like every woman that you were falling in love with was really the same person with a different face. I liked that quote. And the warning helped you to figure out underlying reasons why your relationships weren't working. Tell us about how you ended that cycle of disappointment and how it led to you know this revelation that you created in the human magnet syndrome. Well, I've always, I've always thought that the best way to solve um, your problems are is to be open and honest in the seek psychotherapy. And it seemed that with every relationship I was with, uh, it was with a woman that seemed to be either selfish, self-centered, or hurtful. And it, early on, it was easy for me to blame the women because they were hurtful to me. But after a while, after a succession of failed relationships, I had no other option but to look inside myself and ask, what is it about me that finds myself attracted to a certain type of woman? And I just didn't want to go through it again. And I made a promise myself that I was going to go into therapy and I wasn't going to stop until I figured out why I'm always attracted to women that hurt me, why a person such as myself who is, tends to be on the caretaking side. And that is that was the beginning of my journey that ultimately uh, created the book, the Human Magnet Syndrome. And why we love people who hurt us. Well, yes. in, also in your book, you, this is very important because I, I think so many of us, you know, don't look back at this. You talk about the importance of the first five or six years of your life, that childhood trauma, you know, you refer to it as the original condition, and it's the trauma or the damaging circumstances that are responsible for our relationship patterns later on in life. You know, I don't think we would normally stop to think about that, that how our parents related to each other and to us is what was our modeling. So you have said that parents who um, deprived their children of, like, unconditional love, they, during those first five or six years, will likely be drawn to narcissistic romantic partners in this romantic-like force. Will you talk about this, the two different sides that you saw, the codependent and the narcissist? Yeah. You know, well, what I discovered through my own work in my 25 years of being a psychotherapist working with codependents is that the template for the, the, the template that we use to, in our adulthood for relationships comes from our childhood experiences with our parents. If we were raised by healthy parents who were unconditionally loving, we would naturally and almost reflexively bring that into our adult relationships. But if we were un- unlucky and we had a parent who was a narcissist or an emotional manipulator and we had, we had to endure a childhood uh, with neglect, deprivation, or abuse, the way that we coped in that childhood would set the template for how 
we would relate to our romantic partners as as adults. If we cope with our parents, if we cope with our parents' narcissism by reflexively being loving, patient, by giving them the happiness that they needed to fulfill their narcissistic fantasies, we would take that into our adulthood as a codependent adult. But if we were the child who could not fulfill our our parents' narcissistic fantasies, we would not have gotten that excuse me that conditional love. We would have been damaged badly as a child, and we and that template would have been set. And as an adult, we would we would be uh, we would in our relationships we would behave narcissistically with our partners. And we're speaking with psychotherapist and author Ross Rosenberg. His book is The Human Magnet Syndrome: Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. Now, uh, something that you stated in the book is that the way that we can change these patterns that we actually learned in those first five or six years of our life and throughout childhood by having this modeling of the relationships of our parents is through something like a 12-step program, you know, therapy, etc. But you referred to the emotional manipulator as well as the narcissist as dancers, and that to me was a very great way to describe what they are doing because they have these very strong feelings for each other, and one is the leader and one is the follower, and in the, they're in this dance, which they continue because it's bringing them attention, praise, love, caring, whatever it is. That was a great um, metaphor to come up with the dancers, so Tell us about the dance, and then how do we untangle from the dance and move on? One of the one of the uh, one of the ways that I help my clients understand their codependency was I help them understand that they're that they are automatically and almost magnetically or reflexively attracted to the same type of partner. So if you think of dancers, you need someone who's going to be the leader, and you need someone who's going to be the follower, and if both dancers um, fulfill their, their role as a dance partnership, the dance will be a good dance. So the leader or it's a narcissist. It's a person who wants everything to be about him or her, who controls everything, who expects um, the follower to follow his or her demands. The follower or the codependent is reflexively compliant. They're giving they are born to follow. So when you get together the follower and the leader, what you have is a dance that works all the time, which is why codependents and narcissists make a, make a, a dysfunctional partnership or dysfunctional relationship that lasts because they're well-matched in a dysfunctional sense. And that's why I came up with the dance concept. But how... Yes, go ahead, please. So how, how does someone get better... How does a codependent break break that their habit of being reflexive and to uh, break their habit of being sacrificial and not paying attention to their own needs, not standing up for their own um, desires? They go to psychotherapy and they learn that it doesn't have to be that way. They learn to unravel um, the different layers that has brought them to their codependent relationships, and through their psychotherapy, through this journey, little by little. They learn to take back some level of control in their life. And what happens then, they find out that this dance, this perfectly coordinated dysfunctional dance, no longer works. They 
are no longer passive. They are no longer invisible. They are no, no longer allowing themselves to be marginalized. And because the narcissist wants to be in control, they find that the dance doesn't work, the relationship will not survive, and from there, they find themselves magnetically attracted to someone that fits their dance style, someone that complements their personality and finds a partner who fits. And that's where the healthy relationships evolve. And, you know, it sounds like it, I mean, it's work, obviously. You gave examples, and I never stopped to think of it till I read your book, The Human Magnet Syndrome. You talked about some famous couples from history, like Anthony and Cleopatra, or John and Jacqueline Kennedy, or Elvis and Priscilla Presley. I never thought of them as being, you know, narcissists or codependents, but as soon as you pointed it out, it seemed so very obvious but I, you had an example in your book, Paul and Sandra, and I thought maybe you would give an example, if or if it's if you could just share a little bit about them, because they both sounded, you know, it was like a relationship that it was like, why wasn't she getting out? And until she had therapy with you, she didn't. But could you share a little bit about that story? Because that really shows, I think what the two disseparate uh, relationship patterns are. Yeah, and, and that before I talk about the story, it's important to say that codependents are always attracted to narcissists. People who do not know how to express their own needs in a relationship are always attracted to someone who um, controls the relationship by getting their needs, their needs met first. So, so Sandra was a woman who was... was uh, had very low self-esteem, had problems with her weight, had poor body image, had a poor body image. Sandra found herself always with men who were controlling, who were self-centered, who were arrogant, who were vain. It is as if she fit perfectly because she found the man that would control everything and she did not have the, the skill or the self-esteem to, um, to stand up for herself. So that dance persisted for about 15 years until she came to psychotherapy with me. And she learned that she didn't have to dance this dance anymore. She didn't have to give up her, her dignity, her self-esteem. So one, one layer at a time, she learned about herself. She learned that she was acting out these old wounds of her childhood, and she started to heal. She started to move forward. And as she got stronger, as she, she demanded more from the relationship, and as she demanded more from the relationship, her husband, the narcissist, got more angrier, got angrier and angrier. And eventually, when he was not going to change, she finally took the very big step and decided to divorce him. And that's what happens when codependents get healthy and their emotional manipulators or their narcissistic partners uh, resist change or refuse change. The relationship falls apart. The dancing couple uh, the dance doesn't work anymore, and she moves on. And that's where Sandra moved on. She divorced She divorced her husband and has be- become a healthy partner in other relationships. Well, and you know, what, what was interesting in that particular example, too, was that she was codependent pretty much in everything in her life. She was this fabulous person and a wonderful employee, yet she was never, she was only given like two raises in 15 years. She never asked for one. She actually would get demoted because people just took advantage of her. And, and as much as we talk about the dance, 
as it's reflected in romantic relationships, truly codependency is reflected in most adult relationships. If if you are not uh, experienced or or not confident in setting boundaries and setting up for yourself, you'll find you'll find that codependent relationship will follow you in where you work. It'll follow you in uh, where uh, you go to school. It'll follow you in your friendships. And with her, she worked. Uh, she worked in an environment that she had a narcissistic boss. And narcissistic bosses love codependent employees because think about it. Just like the dance, the codependent and the narcissistic romantic couple, they fit really well together. The codependent is not going to stand up for themselves. They're not going to argue when they don't get raises, and they're going to let the narcissistic boss take charge, and they will take it for a very long time. And she, just like with her husband, endured this neglect um, and, and, and terrible treatment. And, and, and in her therapy, as she grew healthier in her, her personal and romantic her, in her personal and romantic life, she also grew stronger in her work life and her social life. So the reality is is that your book, The Humid Magnet Syndrome, is although you're talking about uh, relationships and interpersonal relationships, and the subtitle is Why We Love People Who Hurt Us, it really, really can help us in relationships in life in general. Because if we fall into one of these patterns, it follows us literally into every facet of our life. And we're all looking to be appreciated and acknowledged but if we are a codependent or we're a manipulator, we're probably going to continue those things unless we get some therapy and some help. Would that be a right diagnosis? Oh, absolutely. And that's the very saddest, the saddest thing for me as a psychotherapist is to see people spend a lifetime not knowing what it's like to be loved uh, unconditionally, not knowing what it's like to be cared and loved and respected in equal proportions than they give. And I know from my personal experience, my personal journey, and my 25 years working with uh, my codependent clientele, is it can be changed. It just takes courage. It takes guts, and it takes a very first important step to see uh, into a psychotherapist's office, one who understands codependency and that and that natural trap, uh, that magnetic trap of when you are attracted habitually to narcissistic partners. I want to give out your website so that people can go because you have so many resources on there that really will help people. It The website is humanmagnetsyndrome.com. Again, we are talking about the book, Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. And our author, Ross Rosenberg, is a national seminar speaker, so he can be booked to speak anywhere in the world, as well as he is a psychotherapist with his own practice in helping people. And he, it, it, this whole book is based on your seminar, The Codependence and Emotional Manipulators, Understanding the Attraction, right? That is correct. In fact, the book, uh, the, the seminar did so well and it and became so sought after, the, uh, the uh, company that sponsored it asked me to publish a book and, uh, and I'm so grateful for that experience. Well, and there's there's no better applause than to have a, a a presentation be so successful that a book is important and recommended. Again, Human Magnet 
syndrome.com. So how do we recognize, since we all are really magnets in some way, whether when we go into a relationship or a job or whatever, it's going to be the right one because you, you also, so talk about the you know the the brain the dopamine that is released when we feel this excitement and attraction to someone or something and then the limerence tell us about that a little bit how do we know if it's going to be a negative or a positive or is it does it really first start with us in you know our individual person in knowing whether we are narcissistic or codependent you know, it's very. It's a very interesting question because so much of our um, our orientation towards healthy or dysfunctional relationships are embedded unconsciously. It's it's part of that that template that uh, was created when we were a child. So we can try to be conscious of wanting to be healthy, wanting a healthy partner. But if we if we have not worked on those wounds that we carry around. Have worked on our self-esteem. Our uh, we are not going to be able to fight the power of the human magnet syndrome. So all of us are naturally attracted to people that we with that we deem attractive. I mean, there's power, powerful chemicals that that come alive in our brain, and and what happens is the 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 human magnets, the codependents, and the narcissist are attracted to each other with with intensity as just like the healthy individuals are attracted to each other. When you are when you are unfortunately a codependent, you are going to not fall in love with a healthy person, just as if you are a narcissist, you're not going to fall in love with a healthy person. And so you won't have this flood of love chemicals, a flood of dopamine. So the very best thing you can do is work on yourself, work on your self-esteem, work on, uh, work on the pain that... That was was the pain that draws you into these dysfunctional relationships. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in the same part in the arms of the same partner over and over again. It might be the same type of person, but a different face. That is such a terrific advice. And again, the book is "The Human Magnet Syndrome: Why We Love People Who Hurt Us." The author is Ross Rosenberg. And the website, humanmagnetsyndrome.com. And Ross, I just wanted to end with this small poem that you wrote that I thought it really sums up what you are doing and what your book is about. If hope and happiness always seems a tomorrow away, if too many days end in sadness and a lack of fulfillment, if your heart and your mind speak different languages, if love of self and others seems to be beyond your grasp, if you live in a desert of sadness and loneliness, but seek an oasis of freedom and hope, I can help. And that was by Ross Rosenberg. Again, the book, The Human Magnet Syndrome. Ross, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing this information because, you know, we all do want to love and be loved. And as you said earlier, we all deserve to have this great uh, warmness and this, this great feeling in our lives. And we can all have it if we work on ourselves first. So I think thank you uh, for writing the book and best of success in getting the word out as you travel around the country speaking. This was really, it's a terrific book. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it's been, my, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you.
Well, thank you again, Ross Rosenberg, and make sure to visit the uh, website, the uh, Human Magnet Syndrome. Dot com and the book is The Human Magnet Syndrome. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will be talking to author Allison Atley. Her book is The Typewriter Girl, so we're going to go across the continent and the big pond to the turn of the century Victorian England. I'll be back in a bit. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. Stay with us. Star you are. The star you What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. You are the star. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thanks for staying with us where the world comes to talk and listen. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and I am Cynthia Bryan. Well, the one class that served me well and has continued to serve me well throughout my life is that one elective I took in high school called Typing 101, and every person in my class was a female. Little did I know then that typing would morph into keyboarding, which to me is a mandatory skill for everyone, man or woman, in our 21st century world. But back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was indeed females who clicked away at the keys with minimal wages, very little status, and almost no support. In Alison Atley's novel, The Typewriter Girl, we meet a young, ambitious lady in Victorian England attempting to succeed in what is known as a man's world. Welcome, Alison, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. Well, thank you, and congratulations. It's always so fun to get your book published. And I was reading about how when you were a child that... 
you just loved to do anything that was 19th century wardrobes and things yeah. for your dolls. So I, I, I really, I understand that. That was a, that was a very interesting time period. Were you actually even considering writing books in those days? Well, um, Joe March from Little Women was one of my um, childhood idols, and of course he's a writer in the book. So, uh, yes, that was kind of the um, the epitome of um, you know a girl that had made it was to be a writer. Yeah, so. Joe was my favorite as well. And wasn't Little Woman? You know, Little Woman wasn't that just, or isn't it just one of the greatest books yeah. of all time? <laughs> at least, at least for me, it was. <laughs> Well, listen, let's get to your novel, The Typewriter Girl. It begins with Betsy, a typewriter girl who wants to leave her present job and tackle a position as a tour manager by the sea, but she gets caught forging her own reference or what they call a character letter. Why were letters even mandatory in those days, and and why do you think that uh, she decided to forge it instead of just asking if she would get one? Well, um, of course, uh, back in that time period, you didn't have um, resumes, you didn't have Facebook, you couldn't Google somebody to find out, you know, about their past and uh, where they had come from. So it was all about connections, and you know, you could not. Um, get hired, uh, you know, even as a maid, if you didn't have that reference. Uh, the recent uh, PBS show, Mr. Selfridge, there's a character in that book who gets fired without any kind of reference, and she's completely destitute until um, she's, uh, you know, she comes back to a connection that she made earlier in, the, in her life. So... They were very important, and um, so Betsy feels a little bit desperate because she doesn't uh, she doesn't trust this man who's her supervisor to uh, give her a good reference um, because he's heard rumors about her, um, and he doesn't. Of course, your character and your reputation were everything as well. Well, let's talk about those rumors because that to me was a very interesting slant that you put on Betsy, who is the heroine of the book. Because she, she has, um, a very kind of, I don't, I don't want to use the word wild, but she's more promiscuous than what we consider most women of the time being. And she admits actually to, um, to, to John in the book that she's had many, many male, you know, encounters, yet she's never gotten pregnant. And so what was it like for women in those days or for anybody in, in that matter to, you know, to be uh, sexually active? Well, um, I th- there was um, kind of a double standard, first of all. Um, if you were a middle, middle or upper class girl, you were very much protected um, until you were married and looked out for and not left alone <laughs> uh, at any point. Right, there were uh, so, always guardians, right? There right. was always a chaperone. Yes, you, could, you did not go out alone <laughs> at all. Uh, for working class girls, uh, it, uh, there was a different standard. And, you know, because Betsy, she's coming from that working class world and she's trying to move into, uh, you know, the hotel that, where she goes to work is a very upper class. Uh, so she has that, 
you know, that reputation is something that's going to hurt her. Now, um, the men that she's have been with before, you know, perhaps by our standards today, uh, might, it might seem kind of mild, but, you know, to, um, you know, for her not to be married is, is scandalous uh, to the people at that time. Right, but you know what I loved about her personality? She didn't look at it as being scandalous because for her, she chose you know, she would say, I, when she's talked to John, she, mm-hmm. she wanted to be the one who chooses. And so I thought that she was such a very self-confident and very driven and very smart young lady who wasn't about to let herself be taken advantage of. And for that, she, I just admired her so much. Yes, I love that about her, too. She was... Um uh, I mean, she has kind of a, a sense of, you know, just even her typewriting job, we think of that today as something that would be kind of, you know, low-wage labor, but it took uh, some education, you know, especially coming from where she did. When, when she's achieved that, she thinks that that is pretty much the ultimate that she can expect from life. Uh, so for her to risk and branch out uh, to and kind of hope for more beyond that, um, I, I love that about her, that she's willing to take that chance. Um, That's what I love, too, is because she had been a laundress. She had been what, a, a nanny or I, I don't want to uh, she'd worked in a home. As uh, yeah, a, as a, maid, uh, a housemaid. A housemaid, right, right, uh, as a housemaid. And then to be the typewriter girl, that seemed to have taken a lot more skill, you know, to do that. But the fact that she was willing to take on this uh, managerial position in, and she had to organize it, it showed such strength of character as well as this ability to just go out of a comfort zone that was not only her comfort zone, but a comfort zone for females of the era, you know, in general. Because, right. you know, she even said uh, uh, when she was thinking that she wasn't going to get the job, you know, did she want to be like a maid in the hotel, you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> right. that's, she wanted to live in the hotel when they were, t- when, he was John was trying to put her up at this this lovely uh, home, you know, this lovely house. The is it the bow or the bow? Uh, the bows. The uh. bows. Okay. Okay. So in any case, so let's talk about John too, because he was an unconventional creature, very talented, very uh, a very amicable guy who literally just fell head over heels uh, for her because he admired her spunk and he admired this character. He saw something in her that other men of this time period didn't want to see, perhaps, in women. Right. Um, Like uh, one of her bosses, Mr. Walford, talks about how the women, you know, they shouldn't really uh, be a distraction and, you know, that if they have to be there, they shouldn't be noticed. Uh, but John um, admires, you know, what he sees in her, just kind of this. And um, I think what John does for her um, is that he allows her to dream a little bit bigger for herself. You know, she thinks that she's made it to a certain point, and it's just kind of, oh, that's as far as I can go in this world. And he uh, allows her to have bigger dreams and to um, really see something in herself that she hasn't seen before. That you're right. That's right, and that's what I think what was really fun about it, and the fact that there was the whole mingling with high society, 
And uh, I guess it's sort of like what's up and what's down, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, and, you know, I think it's hard for us, especially as Americans, to realize there really was a caste system there really, or a class. Mm-hmm. And people didn't aspire that much to go outside of their class. But, but Betsy did. She did. It wasn't that she was seeking a different class. She just wanted to live her dream. She wanted to do something bigger and better. Right, and, you know, it's kind of a dream that we take for granted today that you, you can support yourself and be independent. And, you know, for most people that is uh, very possible. But for women with, you know, Betsy doesn't have much of a family left and um, she she's not married. So, um, you know, the idea that she could support herself um, and you know, make a life for herself without getting married was uh, very radical. Um, and the typewriters and the telephones and, you know, the inventions like that of the time period really brought women uh, into a place where they could be more independent and, um, you know, make their own way uh, without, you know, not be completely destitute, you know. It, exactly. Well, we're speaking with Allison Atley. This is her debut novel. novel. It's called The Typewriter Girl. Her website is alisonatley.com, and Allison is spelled with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-A-T-L-E-E. And uh, what I was going to say, too, is about just even typewriting. I just heard on the radio yesterday that here in California, they're not, they're going to stop offering typewriting classes. Uh, you know, just like they're, they've eliminated cursive from right. the school curriculum. Now they don't feel that there's a need for typewriting because people don't have typewriters. Well, like you, I still have my typewriter that I learned on when I was 11 years old. Really? And to me, it was like the greatest skill because how would you use the keyboard so quickly if you don't know it? Right. <laughs> well, um, people are using them so early now, keyboards and things. Uh, it seems like that you know it's almost becoming uh, uh, kind of a second nature skill that they're acquiring very early, except, you know, they <laughs> kind of feel sorry for people that they've kind of learned their own method, but um, maybe it's not the most efficient that they can, <laughs> that they you can know, do. You know, speaking, though, of typewriting, what was it that made you decide to write about this particular profession of a typewriter girl? Well, um it was kind of a secondary element, believe it or not, um, at first. And because she is leaving that job and going to um, this um, position at the hotel as a tour manager, uh, it wasn't that important to me at, as I was writing the first draft or so. And um, it was only later as we, um, like uh, my agent uh, and I changed the title before we started shopping it, and I started to see, you know, when we changed the title, I started to see how um, how she was moving in her career. Uh, but um, typewriters, as I said, were really important in bringing women into the workplace. Um, one of the historians I read called them um, the Trojan horse of, of women in the workplace because um, with a typewriter came a woman. Right, and <laughs> you actually put that into the book of the Trojan yeah. horse. I thought that was quite fascinating. 
Well, again, let's give out the website, alisonatley.com, and the name of the book is The Typewriter Girl. And I'm assuming that you took typing in school at some point? I did. I yes. was, uh, it was like my worst, uh, my worst class. I'm not very fast on it, but I don't usually need to be because I write very slowly and <laughs> I spend a lot of time thinking and staring off into space. Well, it was so. a terrific, uh, a terrific, uh, a terrific first novel to do, and the writing process I think is what is so fascinating. You know, when we talk to authors, do you actually work on a keyboard or do you write longhand? I work on a keyboard, and unless I feel kind of stuck, well, uh, when I'm planning and drafting, I'll, I'll write uh, a lot, not complete sentences, but kind of notes and organizing to myself. So I will do some things longhand, but um, I, I do most of it on, on the computer. Uh, I, that I as I as well. I as well. <laughs> well, it's been really fun talking to you. The typewriter girl is the name of the book. Allison Atley is the author. Thank you, Allison, for joining us. Well, thank you. It's been so fun. Oh well, good luck and have fun on all the rest of the interviews and and on book tours and all those fun things that you'll be doing as an author. And I'm sure you're working on your next one as we speak. And thank all of you for being great listeners and allowing us into your life each week. Make sure you're tuned here to World Talk Radio and Star Style. Be the star you are every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific. With me, Cynthia Bryan, and also with Heather Brittany, we love being your personal growth success coaches and bringing you the authors and experts from around the world that lead to your success. You can change your life. You can make your dreams come true. And you can revel in your imagination through books. For more information on Star Style, visit star-style.com. To make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this show, visit bethestarur.org or btsya.org. Our aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, and motivate See beyond your physical being, know you're already a star, cherish the past, dream of the future, but celebrate every moment of your life and read a book this week. It truly is a garden in your pocket. And until next week when we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins, kindness prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. I thank you and encourage you to go out into the world and shine. Be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our power party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are. You are.